Welcome back to This Week in Film. It's the weekly podcast where we get together to talk about the movies we've seen over the past seven days. I'm Nick Pinanto, joined as always by Midwest Matt Lauer. Matt, how's it going? Going all right, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. I saw one movie this week. Oh. Did you see any? Role reversal. I saw two. Oh, okay. How exciting. Which one did you see? I saw the 1988 Tom Cruise cocktail. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. I saw the autopsy of Jane Doe. What? Uh, didn't, you hate, didn't you hate that movie? No. No, you're thinking of the possession of Hannah Grace or Hannah oh. Rose or something. You know what? I think Ray Radaminky watched the movie you're talking about way back when it came out in the theaters. Ah, I didn't even know this was in theaters, so that's news <laughs> to me. And then I watched a movie called Ravenous, or... Oh, it, no way! Not the 1999 one. Oh! I've seen that as well. But this is a more recent movie from, I believe, France, that the original title is, and I'm going to butcher this, Les Affemmes. Or Les Afemis. That sounds right to me. Yeah, that one. <laughs> oh, I got, I got, uh, I almost watched Ravenous the other night, but it was like too long for what I was looking for, so I didn't watch it. I this, ended up not watching anything. This one? No, the the American one. The Guy Pierce. The Civil War, yeah, because I've never seen that, but I've always wanted to. It's an interesting movie. Yeah. I guess you can start, since you saw more. Oh, Okay. We'll turn it into a cocktail sandwich. Cool. <laughs> um, I'm going to say cocktail a lot. <laughs> just make sure you give it extra on the cock. Anyway. Uh, yes. I was also, yeah, I remembered the other day, one of the other movies was that I kept suggesting you watch, aside from Get Out and um, the one you actually watched, The Descent. Uh, mm -hmm. That is... Upgrade. Still need to watch. Oh Upgrade. right, yeah. Still need to watch Upgrade. All right. So that was uh, Matt bangs his head against a wall corner. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to move on to the autopsy of Jane Doe. And I have very few notes on this, but I watched this movie with my sister, who was well, and Karina, when my sister was uh -huh. in from out of ten, uh, from California. Uh huh. The Sunshine State. A lot of this is it. Is that what that no, is? No, I think that I think that's Florida. <laughs> California, the earthquake state. Wow, we sound high. We should probably record during the day. So it's anyway, night again because we wanted to recapture last week's magic. <laughs> I hope there are no new listeners this episode. <laughs> Because uh, we will have already lost them. Um, mm. Okay, so The Autopsy of Jane Doe. It's a little movie about two guys, a father and his son, who are coroners. Well, the father's a coroner, and the son is sort of his assistant who is going to coroner school. Sure. Yeah. Early on, you discover that he is not so interested in becoming a coroner. You, you get this in a conversation with his girlfriend and it's not really all that relevant so don't worry about that well, too much well I, I imagine getting into the 
corner business has got to be a passion. It can't just be something you half-ass. Well, this and this one's been handed down throughout the family line. Uh, uh, that's even worse, I think, because now you're pressured to do it. Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of pressure implied. It's not very relevant to the plot, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to give the characters some fleshing out, I suppose. What is relevant to the plot, or what is the plot, is that a young lady comes in on a stretcher because she's dead. Oh. As you might expect, she's unidentified, i.e. Mm. Jane Doe. Oh, got it. Okay. Now we got our title. They're going to do an autopsy on her. There's the rest. <laughs> she is... I mean, you, you probably would figure this from the fact that it's an autopsy, but like, it, it's definitely something that comes up a lot throughout the movie. She is super naked the whole movie long, so there's lots of dead nudity in this. So Nick will probably review this next week. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I'm watching it right now. <laughs> I just turned it on. What they... Start finding is kind of mysterious things going on in and on her body that make what happened to her. It raises more questions than it answers as they're doing the autopsy. By the way, the father is Brian Cox, or as Nick would say, Cox. <laughs> the son, I'm not quite sure who the son is. Uh, he's an actor. <laughs> we we looked up the actress who plays Jane Doe to see if she's mm-hmm. been in other stuff. Because for the most part in this movie, all she does is lie there. But she hasn't been in a whole lot. Anyhow. Let's well, think m- of all the people that played dead bodies on Law & Order, you know? You know, I could think about them, but I keep coming back to the fact that they are not on the screen naked for an hour and a half. Which this girl is. And I kind of expected that when I looked up her career, she might have been in like porn after that, just because yeah. the nudity. Uh, but no, she's been in like four things. One of them's, I think, actually two of them, I think, are in post-production right now. I'm not sure who plays the son. Sorry, I didn't look that up. But this takes place in one location. This morgue. Okay. The whole time. And honestly, it's... Pretty effective use of what must be a very low budget. And the things that they're finding out about the girl are, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of intriguing that they're, they're finding these things out and trying to figure out, like, well, what's going on here? But there are some issues with this movie. You got to ask yourself a lot of questions as to, like, why there are no stairs to get out of the basement that they're in. And there are are a couple of like twists and turns but they don't necessarily do a ton there's is it's not a especially once you get about halfway into the movie it starts to kind of lose its thread but for the first half atmospherically it's pretty good brian cox i think is always a good actor if you're looking for a kind of a horror movie that's sort of a sustainable level of action throughout. Like you don't want a real slow, slow, slow burn, but something that's going to drop little nuggets pretty consistently. Then I would say, go ahead and check this one out. It's not the best horror movie there is, but it's not bad. So I just looked up this movie on our website, thisweekinfilm.com to see when Ray talked about it. Uh huh. And it was Ray way back in episode 50. And I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure Ray did not like this movie. But I don't remember. So, listeners at home, 
you listen for me and tell me what I remember. But I looked at the poster and uh, Emile Hirsch is the other actor besides Brian Cox. Uh-huh. And he's the dude from Into the Wild. Oh, God, I wanted him dead the whole time. <laughs> in Into the Wild in this or in this movie? You know, I wouldn't have cared if he was gone pretty early in this movie. But in Into the Wild, I was just like, this guy is intolerable. And I know it's based on a true story. And I'm going to assume that the real guy in real life was much more tolerable than the guy in the movie. I doubt it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. I really enjoyed that Into the Wild movie, but I was like, F this guy. Screw this guy. <laughs> like, I feel the way about the dude from Into the Wild the same way I feel about the guy from Grizzly Man. Okay. I'm like, yeah. you did this to yourself. Like, this is all your fault, and now you're going to make other people pay for it mm-hmm. or other things pay for it. But I thought Emil Hirsch was terrific in Into the Wild. I really enjoyed that movie. It got me interested in reading... Uh, I guess not reading, but seeing other movies based on books by the guy who wrote that book. Mm-hmm. And that's a road you don't need to go down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess they made, like, he made a mountain climbing, wrote a mountain climbing book, and they made a terrible movie about it that they're actually trying to remake or whatever. But that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to your movie you just discussed, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, can we get into spoilers for it? If you want to. Because I've got no intention of ever seeing it, but if the listeners at home were thinking that it was safe to continue listening because they were going to watch it this weekend, spoiler alert. (laughs) So, Matt. Yes. This girl, I guess, she comes back to life. Yeah. Well, okay. So, what you find out. So, throughout the movie, they are finding scars inside of her body and like her lungs are all burned out. And then there's like all this stuff tattooed underneath her skin and she's not damaged on the outside at all. And so they're like, what's going on here? Why is all this stuff here? And then at some point they start to question like, why is she torturing us? Mm -hmm. And so what they figure out at some point is that, Oh, are they, are they trapped in the morgue with it? Yeah, she's like setting the place on fire and slashing them up on the inside and breaking their ankles and stuff. This is actually all happening to Brian Cox, not to his son. And pretty uh, sure all those things are basketball terms. <laughs> that, well, it does turn out <laughs> that she's a basketball fan and a poet, and she's trying to take the metaphor. I don't know if you're telling a joke or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. No, not at all. So what it turns out to be is that she has been kind of throughout centuries, I think, doing this to people. She was killed as a as a witch, mm-hmm. and all these things were done to her. And so she's been doing this to people generation after generation after generation. And finally, Brian Cox is like, you know what? What can I do to help? And so he sort of sacrifices himself, and then she does all those things directly to him that she was going to do anyway. But- Mm-hmm. He does it voluntarily. So it's kind of like he makes up for the sins of the people who killed her. And then she's satisfied. And trying to remember at that point, I don't think she comes to life, but her body. Oh, wait, maybe she does. Her body definitely goes back into like her eyes are no longer cloudy. And because they've done this whole autopsy to her, they've cut her open and stuff. Her body heals back up. I don't actually know. I think she comes back. I think she walks away. Like she she disappears. She's not on the table anymore. So I think yeah, mm-hmm. she comes back to life. Now, she gets brought into this morgue. Was she alive before the coroner department brought her into the 
coroner station? No, at, at no point in the movie is she actually alive. You don't see her pre-autopsy. You do see she gets discovered at the beginning of the movie in the basement of a house, and then she's brought into the morgue. But in the ba- So she's just been dead body, just kind of going through the years? Yeah, and I guess torturing people around her. So it, it, mm-hmm. this part's a bit unclear, because at the beginning of the movie, there's some guy who's shot himself in the house that she's in the basement of. But that has nothing to do with the witch stuff, has nothing to do with the things that were done to her. So that part falls a little flat. Mm -hmm. The best part of this entire movie, and if you're still listening, but you don't want the best part spoiled, come back in 15 seconds. The best part of this movie is when the younger guy's girlfriend, for some reason, has, and in some way, I don't know how, managed to get into the basement where they are. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to escape through this elevator that doesn't work. And Brian Cox jumps out and kills her with an axe. What? And, and then and then realizes that she's his girlfriend. And he's like, oh, son, I'm sorry about that. They got her. <laughs> yeah. The last experience that I had with a coroner in a movie was in the now this week in film classic film Betrayed. And in, in that movie, <laughs> and in that movie, uh-huh. the, the coroner, his department basically you say that we're seeing the insides of this lady throughout the movie did it look like a pile of rice with hamburger patties on top of it no they put a a lot more effort into this one than in that movie interesting Interesting. and she's actually not cut up throughout the entire movie they probably cut her open maybe like halfway through i'm just saying she is on the slab naked this whole time hmm they just don't so like they all right, whatever. It takes them a while <laughs> to get around to doing the actual autopsy. But because once the- they do, there is a moment where they take out an organ that seems to just pop right out, like mm-hmm. it's operation or something, really? or like Mr. Potato Head. But for the most part, the autopsy what stuff kind looks of Mr. pretty good. Potato Heads did you have? I had a dark childhood. <laughs> Here's my bucket of parts. I mean, isn't it just his, a potato his, and a bucket of blood for everybody? It's his potato and his kidney. You get a potato and a bucket of blood. You cut it open and organs fall out. What don't you understand? And then you have dinner. <laughs> yeah, you cook it up, slice up the potato, and you got fries. Food. Blood all over. <laughs> Boy, this, this is a weird episode we got going yep. on here. It is that spooky time of year. <laughs> All right. Is that all you have for autopsy of Jane Doe? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then allow me to take you on a journey back to the wonderful year of 1988. It's five years since Tom Cruise was in Risky Business. It's been two years since Tom Cruise was in Top Gun. And my God, does he have gorgeous hair. This entire movie, every scene that Tom Cruise is in, He's got the most beautiful hair you have ever seen. And it's different in every scene. Sometimes it's feathered. Sometimes it's gelled. Sometimes it's moosed. And it is just gorgeous. Tom Cruise's hair is my favorite character in this movie. It sounds like it. This movie starts off with a bus driving down some road in a rural area. And a a police car is coming up behind it real quick. And, And inside the police car 
are like 10 guys and they're all having a grand old time. And for some reason, this police car also has a moonroof or it's a convertible or I don't remember. What? Yep. And Tom remember Cruise, that. Oh, have you seen this? Oh, I saw it a while back. Oh, okay, great. So Tom Cruise keeps standing up out of the police car to like wave at the bus to pull over because that's his bus and he wants to get on it. And I guess he's in the military or something, or he just got discharged from the military because there's military guys around and they're all like, good luck in New York City, Tom Cruise. And he's like, thanks, guys. I'll never forget you. And then he forgets all of them. And he gets on a bus to New York City. He goes to some corner bar in Queens, New York, that's owned by his uncle. And he's like, hey, Uncle Pat. How's it going? And he's like, hey, kid, way to be in the army or military or whatever unclear method of service that you did. Welcome back to New York. And he's like, thanks. And he's like, so I imagine you're you're going to be a bartender here and get a girl pregnant and <laughs> and, and start your life that you're going to hate for the rest of your life. And he's like, no way, man. I saw Wall Street because Wall Street came out the previous year. Wait, does now, he actually is... reference having seen Wall Street? No, but the movie does oh. constantly. Tom Cruise wants to become a millionaire, and the quickest way to do that is to get a job on Wall Street because it's the 80s and Reaganomics is taking off and greed is good and being an intellectual is bad. Wait, Tom, did you say Tom this Cruise took place in the 80s or 2019? <laughs> right. And so Tom Cruise tries to get a job all over, I guess, Manhattan. I don't know how New York works, but he's, he's <laughs> all over Manhattan and, and Wall Street, and he, he's getting turned down for jobs left and right because his military service, which they don't really reference because he's got no experience to do anything. Nobody wants to touch him at all. And so he's like really dejected. So when everyone's depressed, they go to a TGI Fridays. So he goes into this Fridays because there's a help wanted sign on the door. And he's Wait. like, well, I got to get a job. Wait, so he, is it actually a TGI Fridays? It sure is. They had those in the 80s? That's what I said. I was like, I wonder if this is the first TGI Fridays. Wow. I didn't do any research on it, but That's okay. so Tom Cruise goes in this bar and there's this English guy who looks like he's 50 years old. Tom Cruise is like, hey, I want a job. And the English guy's like, hey, we're going to be best friends. And Tom Cruise is like, okay, can I have the job? And the guy's like, yeah, best friend. And Tom Cruise is terrible at being a bartender. But the next day, he's the best ever. But he doesn't want to be a bartender he still wants to become a millionaire and work on Wall Street. So he starts going to college. And apparently in college, everyone who goes to college is 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two main rules that I figured out while watching this movie. And that's no men are allowed to be as close to being as good looking as Tom Cruise. I will say the guy is a straight up handsome dude. He's fantastic looking and he's got that gorgeous hair. Number two, no one is allowed to be younger than Tom Cruise in this movie. Everyone except for Elizabeth Shue is older than Tom Cruise, which is really weird, especially when he's in college. Like he's clearly taking these undergrad classes and everyone in the college looks like they're adults doing a continuing education course or people who are clearly not in college straight out of high school. I wasn't in college in the 80s and maybe there was more of an adult crowd going to college back then or an older adult crowd going to college in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But 
you would think there would be some young people. His first day in class, he's taking this economics class, and the teacher is just spouting off all this gibberish. He starts saying formulas and all this stuff, and it's clearly the first day, and he's like explaining the syllabus. And my wife, who has a degree in business or marketing, one of those two, uh, <laughs> she... Uh, <laughs> this segment will be edited. <laughs> My wife, who has a degree in business, there you go. she goes, this guy's not saying anything. He's just saying gibberish. None of this makes any sense. And I'm like, yeah, but to 1988 America, this is what it's like to go to college and get talked down to by a haughty, toddy professor. Over the course of the next 20 minutes, Tom Cruise's spirit is broken. And the final straw is one day he's in his one economics class and this professor had given everyone an assignment to create a business plan and this business plan is supposed to be real like this is your business plan for what you're gonna do when you get out of college and if you screw this up god damn it you've wasted all of your money you stupid idiot you stupid bastard how could you screw up your very first business plan in a class and this teacher lays into everyone and tom cruise understandably is like why don't you lay off and he's like what's your name and he's like uh whatever i'm tom cruise whatever the character <laughs> name is he's like i'm tom cruise and not a very and original like, name for the character <laughs> The teacher's like, oh, yeah, I remember yours. You wanted to create a New York-style bar and restaurant and make it populate all over the United States. And I'm like, oh, just like TGI Fridays. This is the story of TGI Fridays. <laughs> and the guy's like, why would anyone ever want to go to a bar from New York in Midwest Ohio and he throws his business plan at him and, and then like that's the last time Tom Cruise is in school it's at this point Tom Cruise is the world's greatest bartender now where he can do like him and his English best friend who's like 50 are like throwing the bottles like between each other like juggling doing all kinds of stunts or whatever to, to wow the ladies yeah because when you wow the ladies they'll give you more money and, and you'll also get to sleep with them and something's going on where Tom Cruise meets Gina Gershon, who I think looks much better when she's older. I don't care for 1988 Gina Gershon. Sorry, Gina Gershon. I like Gina Gershon from, I think it was Best of the Best 3. <laughs> she's great looking in that movie. So Tom Cruise and Gina Gershon begin a relationship where I guess it's supposed to be like a one night stand where he's at her apartment slash giant house because she's a millionaire. And they're like in bed together and they're just rolling around on the bed. And and I'm like, is this is this what sex was in 1988? <laughs> like they're just rolling around the bed, We've laughing. Changed things. <laughs> it's it's they're just laughing and rolling, and eventually they roll off the bed. And then he's leaving the apartment the next morning, and she's like, "When can I see you again?" And he's like, "I don't know. You know, we'll get together." And then the next scene is. They're in Tom Cruise's apartment, and the English guy is there, and Gina Gershon's there, and Tom Cruise has got his arm around Gina Gershon because clearly they've been together for like some serious time has passed, and they're this well-established couple. And the English guy's like, so why'd you call me up here anyway? And Tom Cruise says, I think we should open our own bar, and we'll call it Cocktails and Dreams or something like that. And the English guy's like, eh, I don't have any money. 
and the Tom Cruise is like, ah, we'll go to Jamaica and make our money because there's no taxes and we're young white men and women will give us money in Jamaica. And the guy's like, okay, that sounds like a plan. And then they go play basketball where Tom Cruise and his amazing hair wear these tiny shorts. And he just shoots baskets. And he's telling the English guy all about how he had sex with Gina Gershon. And it's at this moment you realize, wait, is this the next day? Is this the day <laughs> Did that after? all happen in 12 this, hours? Yeah. This is this whole 20-minute section of the movie. It feels like it's been like a whole season. And it's been like one day because at the end of the basketball game, the English guy says to Tom Cruise, I bet your girlfriend's going to be banging some other dude by the end of the week. And Tom Cruise is like, you're on. And so the English guy bangs Gina Gershon. And Tom Cruise is like, what the hell, man? And he's like, I didn't really want to lose the $50 bet I made to you. And she's also a whore. And Gina Gershon comes over to Tom Cruise and's like, hey, thanks for talking to everybody about my sex life. And Tom Cruise is hurt. And so he fights the English guy. But meanwhile, I'm like, you are all over each other in Tom Cruise's house with the English guy there. What? What are you upset about, Gina Gershon? Anyway, so that's the So end. is is she saying, I had sex with your friend because you told people I had sex with you? Yes. Ah. Yeah. Okay, then. That's that's exactly what happens. Hmm. Tom Cruise and the English guy fight in the bar, and, you know, they, they break up, basically. And it's three years later. Oh, We're so, in Jamaica so, now. So 12 hours gets 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Three years gets just a title card. Yeah. And so Tom Cruise is now in Jamaica, where he owns his own little beachside bar that's doing very well. And he seems pretty happy. TGI uh, Thursdays. <laughs> yeah. He's making his way along. I guess he's got like a long-term plan to still build his own bar in New York City or whatever. But Elizabeth Shue shows up. And Elizabeth Shue in 1988 cocktail might be the most beautiful woman there ever was. She's drop-dead gorgeous. Blows Michelle Pfeiffer and Lady Hawk way out of the water. And a uh, talented actress, too. She is a talented actress. So she shows up, and a whole bunch of stupid stuff happens. They basically fall in love. And over the next six years, seemingly, they they decide to just be exclusive with each other. And then eventually they, they have sex under a waterfall. After six and years? That's what it seems like. But apparently it's, again, only a day and a half. Oh, not six years. No, it's not six years. It's it's really unclear how much time Elizabeth Shue is in Jamaica because they do everything there is to do in Jamaica together. They go swim and, and have sex under the waterfall. They wrestle on the beach. They have like some sort of karate contest with each other on the beach. What? Yeah, there's a weird uh, there's a weird taekwondo sequence. So that's they where to, Daredevil and Catwoman got that from. <laughs> there's a sequence where you see a Jamaican man doing some street dancing and they're having a wonderful time. And you're like, "Wow, some serious time must be passing." How does Elizabeth Shue she said she's just a waitress in New York City. How is she paying for all this? I guess the day after they they bang each other, the English guy shows up in Jamaica and he's married now to the actress Kelly Lynch. And she's kind of slutty and he's into it and she's rich and she married him to m piss off her family. And he tells Tom Cruise, hey, I finally found what I've been looking for. 
a rich, wealthy woman to take care of me. <laughs> I'd like to. Tom- I'd like to pause the conversation and clarify <laughs> yeah. something here. I wasn't saying this woman was playing herself because she was being slutty. I was just saying it because the way you introduced her by name. <laughs> they have their relationship and they seem comfortable with it. So you know. More power to them. Tom Cruise is like, oh, I guess we're best friends again, right? And the English guy's like, of course we are. And then later, the English guy, while Tom Cruise is working, says, hey, you see that lady who looks like Glenn Close over there? I bet you can't sleep with her. And Tom Cruise is like, hey, bird lady, I bet I can sleep with you. And she's like... (laughs) <laughs> Glenn Close looks like Big Bird. Um, <laughs> okay, this is this episode's going to be called Nick assesses women's attractiveness. <laughs> Glenn Close Go looks ahead. like a giant Big Bird. <laughs> like if you put feathers on her, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, Big Bird." We're sorry, Glenn Close. <laughs> we know you're listening. <laughs> wonderful actress she's a phenomenal actress oh don't try to make up for it now i'm not making up for anything she's a fantastic actress she looks like a giant bird especially in the 80s when she had that curly hair that this lady also has like birds too (laughs) well it looks like feathers (laughs) tom cruise is like hey lady can i become your boy toy because you're you're wealthy and she's like yeah and she takes him home and they bang but while they're leaving the bar that night elizabeth shoe who's happy sees them walk off together and she's like oh no and then she leaves and goes back to new york city and tom new cruise york is like, city oh. Yeah, the home of all the delicious salsa. salsa. Tom Cruise goes to find her the next day, and she's left. And he's like, oh, no, why would she leave? And so Tom Cruise is like, well, I guess I'll go back to New York City with this lady and give her all my marketing Wait ideas. You mean they're in the same city? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the city that never sleeps, man. There's always something going on. Boy, this is good writing. It sure is. Tom Cruise goes back to New York with the rich bird lady, and he's like, hey, can I tell your marketing team my marketing ideas? And she's like, shut up. Let me just show your pretty head of hair around town. And Tom Cruise is like, I don't don't." Just in case you don't know where this is coming from, (laughs) Nick is what we would call follically impaired. There's a root to this hatred. There's so much I would do to have a head of bird hair. (laughs) If I had Glenn Close's haircut in the 80s, I'd be so happy. Oh, my. Tom Cruise is getting showboated around by the bird lady, and he doesn't like it. And then there's this weird domestic assault sequence where she slaps him while he breaks up with her. (laughs) He, like, runs up on her like he's going to punch her in the face, and she screams, no. And you're like, I'm really uncomfortable. And then Tom Cruise is like, I already moved my stuff out of your apartment. And she's like, oh, well, that's weird. (laughs) As a viewer, you're like, yeah, that's really weird. And the next day, he goes to get back together with Elizabeth Shue, who's just beautiful. (laughs) Did did he know that she was in New York? Oh, yeah. She tells him where she... each other? No. No. During their six months together on the island that took place over a day, she told him that she's a waitress at some coffee shop. And he's like, oh, yeah, Uh the home of the delicious Danish, where it, like, gives you diarrhea or something. Okay. She's like, yeah, that's us. So he had a way to remember where she is. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So he goes there, gets a table, and she sees him, and she's like pissed off. And yeah. he's, he still doesn't know that she knows that he ran off with the bird lady that night. Uh. And so he's like, hey, can I just apologize? And I'm like, apologize for what? You don't know that she knows. <laughs> you don't know what you did. Yeah. What are you trying to apologize for? And then she pours food all, all, all over him. Cool. And then he basically stalks her for a couple of days until she oh. can decides to bring him to her apartment so he can apologize for something. And they get up to her apartment and I guess she's a painter because she's got art all over the place. And he's like, hey, this is mostly your fault. <laughs> and she's like, what? And he's like, yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah. Well, I got bad news for you, buddy. I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, my God, is it mine? <laughs> That's literally what he says. Uh-huh. And she's offended. And he's like, uh, well, maybe we can work things out. I want to be in the baby's life. He's trying to do the right thing a little bit and still blaming her for all their problems that they've had. And she's like, I want you to leave. And he says, you only brought me up here to kick me out, didn't you? And she's like, basically, this movie's got 10 extra minutes to fill. Oh, God. And so he leaves, and then he comes back the next day, banging on her door. And some lady says, she's not here. She went to go live with her parents on Park Avenue. And Tom Cruise is like, do you know their exact address? And she goes, yeah. And then she says this specific address and apartment number. And I'm like, I'm like, I've been with my wife for like 10 years. I could not tell you what her mom's address is. Right. Sorry. Sorry, ma'am. I, I, it's in my phone, but I don't know it off the top of my head. And I used to go to your house every day, right? Pretty much. Like back in the day. And if anyone asked me what your address was, I'd be like, I don't know, Beachwood something. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's as close as I would be able to get. It's that house down that road. And so he's like, wait a minute, Park Avenue? And the lady who opened the door is like, yeah, her family's loaded. He goes to the apartment and like forces his way in and her dad's there. And he's like, I don't want to know you and I don't want you to be a part of this family. And he cuts him a check for $10,000 to like disappear. And Tom Cruise is like, $10,000? Is that all your daughter's worth to you? And I'm like, I don't know what you're going for here, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, do you want to, uh, how much would it take for you to go away? And he's like, this is what I think you're offering. And he tears it up and Elizabeth Shue sees him do it. And she's like, oh, please leave. Tom Cruise leaves. And then he comes back later with a, an even more beautiful head of hair. And he goes upstairs and he's like, hey. And he like punches a bellhop to get inside the apartment. And he's like, hey, marry me. I love you. And she's like, oh, okay. I love you too. And so they run off and get married. And then the next day, Tom Cruise opens his own bar in Manhattan called Cocktails and Dreams. And she's nine months pregnant. And Tom Cruise is standing on top of the bar reciting a poem he wrote, because that's something that happens earlier in the movie. And he's saying it to Elizabeth Shue in this jam-packed bar. It's a nice poem. And he's like, I hope my kids don't end up like me. And she comes over and she goes, by the way, we're having twins. And he's like, twins? Record scratch, movie's over. <laughs> I don't remember this movie, but I hate it. I hated it so much. Oh, my God. What it possessed was so... you to watch this? My wife wanted to watch it. Uh, it's so. you to watch it. It's so 
bad. It's so poorly written. It's really uncomfortable. You just don't feel comfortable watching it. Like the fact that Tom Cruise, I know I went on for forever with the plot of the movie, but I really wanted to. So Tom Cruise is like the youngest <laughs> guy in this movie. It's just so awkward. And my wife made a good point at one point. She says, Ooh, you know what would make this movie better is if, if Patrick Swayze was in it. And I was like, Oh, that's an interesting thought. And I went, you know what? Patrick Swayze would bring an even creepier edge to this movie because Tom Cruise has kind of that sort of innocent look to him where Patrick Swayze has that not so innocent look where he's, I'm here to use all of you. <laughs> and it's like, that's not going to work, but it just felt so uncomfortable the whole time. Like you just kind of skeeved out. I felt like my clothes smelled like cigarettes at the end of the movie. That's like the eighties. Uh, yeah. The eighties fashion is there's one woman who's wearing a green couch cushion for a sweater and you're just like <laughs> did, oh god did jill like it we had fun watching it but i don't think she liked it when we finished watching it i was like i can't wait to talk about this movie <laughs> <laughs> i wish i remembered it better you know you, you pointed out something along the way in terms of like the montage especially the stuff that seems like it's going on forever and this is kind of an ongoing complaint i have about romantic comedies and like romance movies is it not many people know how to write people falling in love and yeah. so what they do a lot, and I think a good example of this is the movie In Good Company, which I actually think is a pretty good movie. I love In Good Company. Except for them kind of falling in love with each other. It's like, hey, here's some character stuff that seems pretty well established. But then when it yeah. comes time to show them fall in love, it's like, here's a montage. We, yeah, yeah. we do not know what people being attracted to each other and falling for each other actually looks like. Yeah, that's totally true. Maybe that's why people like Titanic so much. They don't montage through the falling in love part. Yeah, the whole movie is that. Well, yeah. and the sinking boat, but yeah. There's a boat? Yeah. Watch it again. You'll see. All right. <laughs> this movie is not good. I want everyone to see it. <laughs> <laughs> It's only an hour and a half-ish. What is it? Hour 45? It's totally worth watching. It's awful. And you get to see all these different things you can do with your hair when it's cut short. Oh, God. <laughs> the military stuff never comes back. The, the college stuff never comes back. The way he's able to open a bar mm -hmm. to, of his own the, the day after they storm out of her parents' rich apartment is because his uncle gives him a loan or something. And none of it makes any sense. Nothing matters in this movie. They're like, well, we hit an hour 45. Time to end. Oh, it's an hour and 45 minutes long. But I will say that this movie did premiere the day before my birthday in 1988. So it's got that going for it. You weren't born in 1988. It was the day before my birthday, though. Oh, I see. <laughs> in, yeah. that, in that particular year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Misunderstood. I mean, for my seventh birthday, I could have gone to see Cocktail. The movie does live on Tom Cruise. I think he's a phenomenal actor. And in this movie, it, it's terrible. But he carries the whole movie on his shoulders. I think he's in every scene. And he does a great job with crap. He gives you a character you can care about. And I mean, for all the weirdness that Tom Cruise of today is, I still think he's a phenomenal actor who puts out quality stuff. You know what? I think I just realized why I don't remember this movie. I think I saw Risky Business, not Cocktail. Oh, really? 
<laughs> Risky Business is the one with the prostitutes, right? Because I've never Maybe. seen that. Because I saw the one with the prostitutes. So yeah. Yeah, that's Risky Probably. Business. Yeah. Either. Rebecca de Mornay is in it. Yeah. My wife says that she's naked throughout that whole movie too. I don't so, remember that, but I know she was in it. Watch this when you have some time because nope. it's pretty terrible. So you watched another movie uh, this week. I did. <laughs> I watched a movie available on Netflix called Ravenous or Lay of M. It's from 2017, so don't confuse it with the other Ravenous. And the plot of this movie is zombies. Oh, French zombies. Yep. And that's the plot. Oh, did this movie have subtitles and all or is it uh... it did it did have subtitles and basically throughout the movie you're really just seeing people run from zombies i mean really that's right. that's pretty much it were any of them dressed like mimes no oh <laughs> Was, were any Are you of asking zombies? because it's french yeah <laughs> yeah they, all of them the way you kill them is to stab them through the face with a baguette can you trap any of them in invisible boxes <laughs> I don't think so. Were any of them wearing berets? <laughs> yes. Actually, there is a guy in it that's wearing a beret. Yeah, no, it's a French film. Yeah. So this movie has pretty good dialogue, I think, anyway. Like, you know, when it's foreign, I think there's a degree of leeway you give the dialogue if it sounds strange. Absolutely. Because it's like, yeah. oh, you know what? They're not speaking my language, so it shouldn't and sound very natural to me. I often think when I'm watching something like that i go oh the translation must just be terrible uh it must sound so much better in the native tongue but in this the the acting seems very good so it's really easy to believe that yeah this is actually pretty natural dialogue there are a few characters who tell jokes in the movie and those seem to fit because the acting is is good it seems like they're mm. they're genuinely laughing at their jokes and getting along well I, I wish there was more for me to tell you about the plot but it's just a few different people kind of sort of picking up other people and ending up kind of coming together and then running from zombies and that's really it does it start pre-apocalypse or post-apocalypse post oh okay yeah, it's already been going on and you know it leaves you to figure out the universe as you go mm -hmm. which I like. I like kind of filling in the gaps along the way and trying to figure out the rules. However, the zombies in this movie are interesting because they seem to be somewhat intelligent. They mm -hmm. can kind of work together and do things like kind of creep up on people. But it's, not mindless. Yeah, not completely. Mm -hmm. But it is really unclear like how they work, what the rules are, even how they die. Because it seems like some of them need to be like super destroyed and other ones, they'll get stabbed through the chest or arm or something and be like dead. So it, mm -hmm. it's really unclear as to like how the mechanics of the zombies really operate. The people are good actors, but some of the things that they have them doing don't really make sense. Having windows open in the cars, even though the zombies are could just jump right through a window. There's one character who keeps popping up throughout the movie and like he's walking alone by himself down this road and the other characters keep running into him, but they just keep leaving him walking along the road on his own. And he seems fine with that. And it's not something that really works in terms of just like, oh, this is how this universe works. It just, there's no explanation for it at all. And there's not even a suggestion as to why that's the way he and they handle it. And they, they do know him. 
It's it's pretty clear that they've got a backstory together. He keeps popping up and kind of jump scaring them, uh, mm-hmm. which is yeah, I guess to jump scare the audience, but also to scare the other characters. And even that's kind of dumb because it's like he's making all sorts of noise, but at the same time he's also walking down this road where he can be seen easily, and it appears as though not a single zombie has even noticed his existence. Okay. Do they refer to zombies as zombies? Do they live in a world where where people are aware of zombies before zombies? Yeah, I'm not sure they refer to them. As- as a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know that they ever actually name them or really say much about them. When people are talking to each other, I think they're talking more about what they need to do mm-hmm. than they are explaining anything about the creatures. What's the goal of the movie? Is it just surviving another day? Is it just a couple days in the lives of these survivors? You know, it seems like they're trying to get somewhere, but really, yeah, it's pretty much just kind of following them around as they try to survive. There is a good scene with the guy who keeps popping up, and even though he, the character doesn't really make sense and it's kind of dumb that he's there... There is one scene where it's like, oh, that was pretty interesting. I won't say more about it than that, but you'll know it when you see it if you watch this movie. Okay. When you get to the end of the movie, it seems like the movie finally gets to where it's going. But then it's really unclear as to like what's actually happening. My sister turned to me a couple times and was like, what is happening? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't understand this. <laughs> and for instance, in this, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's more like not spoiling something that these... Zombies keep doing something with chairs, and at the end, you still have no idea why. Oh. It's like, what was that about? It seemed to be the punchline, and I don't have any clue. And if you watch it and you figure it out, by God, please tell me, because I don't know what that was about <laughs> at all. Okay. And I really don't have that much more to say about it. There's Even if I wanted to spoil stuff, there's not much for me to say other than here's who dies and here's who doesn't, because there's not much of a plot. Are there good effects? Like, is it well made? You know, I think so. I think it's a pretty, pretty good looking movie. It's Probably on a pretty low budget, but it's all outside for the most part, mm-hmm. running through fields and the forest and stuff. So right. in terms of any of the blood or gore or whatever, it all was pretty pretty good. No, well, that's good. Yeah. A pretty decent horror or zombie movie or... Yeah, I, I would say it's probably... Probably around like the 28 days later kind of level of, of good. Wow. 28 days later like for me is... First, first half of 28 days later or the second half? Of well, that's what I was going to say. For me, 28 days later, the downfall is when it starts getting preachy. And yeah. this movie, the downfall is really the last few minutes where you're like, wait a minute, what is actually happening in this moment? But it doesn't really spoil the movie because it doesn't change much. Right. It just leaves you going, okay, I guess that didn't exactly go anywhere in particular. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, is that all you got for that movie then? I think it is. Yes. All right. Well, then that means it is time for our movie rankings list. Your name came up first. So we're going to do your list first. Okay. Uh, So let's see. First, I saw the first one. (laughs) The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Right. And in my list, that's going to go between Fire, the greatest party that never happened, and crawl okay so that's going into your number 45 spot how many stars <laughs> hey how many stars would you give it how many stars would i give what <laughs> oh the autopsy of jane doe um sorry i was looking for the other one and where i put it um i would give that two and a half stars two and a half stars okay yeah. and i would and- i would recommend it 
You would. Interesting. Uh, and then the zombie movie. Ravenous. Uh, Les Zombies. And that one I'm going to put between Creep 2 and Clash of the Titans. What? Okay. Way up there. Yeah, Clash sort of the of. Titans is way up my list. What the heck? <laughs> That's uh, This is going into your new number 33 spot. And now that I'm looking at my list, boy, did I put Brightburn too high. <laughs> How many stars would you give Ravenous? Three. Three stars. Oh, okay. And I'm guessing that's a recommend. Yes. Okay, great. Moving on to my list, I saw Cocktail, and I am conflicted mm-hmm. because this movie was terrible. Mm-hmm. I... I don't ever want to see it again, but I had a lot of fun watching it. So many things on this list are much higher than it. So this is going to go into the new number 71 spot between Alita Battle Angel and Arctic. Goes Cocktail. Nick is five. (laughs) And I'm going to give this movie one and a half stars. Half a star for how gorgeous Elizabeth Shue is. Half a star because I like Tom Cruise. And I think we all know where that last half a star is going. To his hair? Bird lady's hair. No, Tom Cruise's hair. Now, no, this is a no. <laughs> I, don't re- I, I don't recommend it, but I want everyone to see it. <laughs> this list is so screwed up. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, Listeners, let us know if you'd like to hear movie versus movie again. <laughs> Seeing as how this this list doesn't do anything for you. <laughs> okay, Matt. Yes. Anything for Midwest Matt recommends for this week? As a matter of fact, a show that I've mentioned before, Binge Mode, has started a new season that focuses on the Star Wars universe. Oh, so okay. they uh, yeah, I just listened yesterday to their episode about the Phantom Menace, and I believe they just released one about Jar Jar Binks, and so you get to find out all sorts of stuff about that. But they'll probably be going through uh, all the movies and maybe some of the other side projects until the new movie comes out. Uh, is that a daily show? No, I think it's weekly. Okay. The new Star Wars trailer came out this week. Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. I've heard of it. It's okay. Oh, you I'm sound s- slightly more interested than you were. I'm before. slightly more interested, but I don't know. It's a J.J. Abrams production, so you don't know what anything is about. Right. He's he's real good at obscuring things. Yeah. yeah, which is good. He's not giving anything away with the trailer, but I'm also not getting anything from the trailer. But some pretty cool visuals in Star Wars movie. Luke Skywalker's talking a lot. I think it's Luke Skywalker. That was Preview Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the website, thisweekinfilm.com. Links to all of our other stuff that you may or may not be interested in if you want to tell us what you saw this week in film send us an email at this week in film podcast at gmail.com or if you just want to talk to us in general you can send us a message that way or through the, all the regular social medias anything else matt nope well thanks for joining us on a very silly episode on a late wednesday night and i guess if that's the end of the reel we'll see you next week in film And like I always say, always, judge movies, not people. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I'm sorry, Glenn Close. (laughs)